Our good word today continues in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, talking about the love of God in our hearts. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Now we've discovered that the Lord in verse 12 means the Holy Spirit. If you'll read verses 12 and 13 very carefully, you'll discover he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit of God increase their love one for another. And we discovered from Romans 5.5 5 and Romans 15.30 that the source of love in the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. Now, Christian love is natural to a person who is really born again. Now, Christian love is not natural to an unsafe person. Unsafe people don't know anything about Christian love. They may have a, an earthly love. They may have a, a carnal love. They might even have a very sophisticated, passionate love. But Christian love can only be experienced by Christians through the Holy Spirit. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Now, how are we taught of God to love one another? Well, by the Holy Spirit. Taught of God to love one another. God has to teach us how to love. Now, I have conducted marriages for many couples. I don't know how many now. But I've learned this, that many young couples, when they're first married, have to be taught how to love one another. They do love each other in their hearts. They want to be with each other. But they have to be taught how to show love toward one another. And when that love gets cold and when they start taking each other for granted, you watch out. There's going to be trouble in that home. Now, in the Bible, God teaches us how to love one another. He says, first of all, live the way Jesus lived. Jesus lived in love. Jesus accepted people even if they weren't acceptable. I don't mean by that that every Tom, Dick, and Harry should become a member of the local church. But it does mean that we should not put up walls between us and other people. In Luke chapter 15, we're told that the publicans and sinners heard him gladly. They, they drew near to hear the Lord Jesus. Isn't it strange the very people that Jesus attracted our churches are repelling today? Now you just think about that. The very people that Jesus attracted, the sinners, the down and outers, the wayward people, the irreligious people, he attracted them. Today we repel them. Instead, we attract a different kind of a person that thinks maybe he is all right and everybody else is all wrong. Now, Christian love is a normal thing to a person who's truly born again. Over in 1 John chapter 3, Apostle John talks about this whole matter of Christian love. 1 John 3:14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now he's talking here about Christian love. Uh, 
I, it's hard to believe that people can say they're Christians and yet hate each other. Now, my Bible says if a person hates somebody, he, he doesn't have eternal life abiding in him. And yet the hatred and the malice and the criticism and the hardness of heart and the selfishness that we see in the homes and the lives of professing Christians. You know, if all of us really yielded to the Holy Spirit and let him work out the love of God in our lives, you wouldn't have church splits. You wouldn't have people taking their bat and ball and going someplace else. You wouldn't have pastors being kicked out. You wouldn't have some of the Christ-dishonoring practices going on in our churches today if people had love for one another. Now, I think one of the problems is that a lot of folks aren't even saved. There are many people who, who, because they were brought up in church, brought up in a Christian home, got baptized when they were in the junior department. They think they're saved. Now, I want to say this to you very bluntly and very plainly. Unless the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you have never been born again. If you have to force yourself to love people, if it's some natural disposition you have to cultivate, you've not been born again. True Christians experience love in their hearts from the Holy Spirit, and not just a little trickle of love, not just a few drops of love. Paul prays that this love might increase and abound. It's abounding love, abounding love to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Psalm 133, the psalmist talks about one of the great blessings that we need today. We live in a world that's divided. Homes are divided. And churches are divided. And we have division between rich and poor and high and low and smart and dumb and, and different divisions. And he writes in Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now it doesn't say just people to dwell. It says brethren. Can you imagine brothers having to be told to dwell in unity. Oh, this is an indictment upon our Christian churches today. Now, I thank God that I pastor a church where we do have unity and harmony. We have our problems, I'm sure, but our people seem to love one another. But, oh, I have preached in some churches where they'll glare across the aisle at each other or glare at the preacher. I don't see how a person can call himself a Christian and have murder in his heart. Now, he compares this love, this unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What's it like? It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. It's as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Two pictures of Christian unity here. It's like the ointment that they used to anoint the high priest. It's like the dew that came down from the mountains of Hermon. You see, unity isn't something you work up. It's something God sends down. When the high priest was anointed, this ointment went down his beard and went down over his heart. And you remember what the high priest used to wear over his heart? That's right. He wore that breastplate. He wore that special piece of garment over his heart that had the 12 stones, 12 jewels, that were uh, marked with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this precious oil flowed down over those jewels, and it made them one. They were all anointed by the Spirit. Now, this is what God has done for us. If you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, we both have the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit sheds abroad love in your heart and sheds abroad love in my heart, why can't we love each other? Now, we may belong to different denominations, 
We may have different convictions about baptism or the Lord's Supper or some other matter in the church. But if you have the Holy Spirit and you're seeking to follow him, and if I have the Holy Spirit and I'm seeking to follow him and he loves through us, why can't we love one another? This is the true ecumenicity. Now, today our world is trying to develop and work up a, an ecumenicity, that is a oneness, a one, one world church. And they'll get one. The Bible predicts that there will be a world church. It'll be an outwardly big, dramatic, gigantic organization. It'll be man-made, and God's going to destroy it. But the true spiritual ecumenicity, the true spiritual oneness, comes through the love of the Holy Spirit. I preach in, in places where they have different convictions from mine about some matters. I don't think I would be welcome in some place where they had different convictions about major matters, the inspiration of the Bible or the deity of Christ or the resurrection or salvation by faith. But I'm not going to fight with you and you're not going to fight with me if we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts and the Holy Spirit's love is shed abroad. Now the trouble is we quench the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We resist the Holy Spirit. We vex the Holy Spirit. We even tempt the Holy Spirit. It's so important that we not stop up this flow of love. Now, the Holy Spirit, by nature, loves. God is love, and the Holy Spirit is God. And this love ought to be shed abroad through our hearts, in our hearts, from our hearts, and, it, and this love will be shed abroad if we don't stop it. Now, how do we stop it? With our selfishness, with our unconfessed sin, with wanting to have our own way, with insisting on our rights. Now, dear Christian friend, let me ask you a very pointed question. Are you contributing to the love of the Holy Spirit in your church? I don't ask how much money you're contributing. That's important. I hope you tithe and bring your tithes to the local church like a Christian's supposed to do. I mean, are you a part of the answer or a part of the problem? When you go to church, is it good for the church for you to be there because you shed abroad the love of God from your heart? Or are you so hard to get along with people don't want to be near you? Christians ought to shed abroad God's love through their hearts. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that none of us will grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit when he seeks to shed forth this love in our hearts. Now, notice that Paul prays not just that they should love one another, but they should love all men. This means a love for lost sinners. I think it's hard for Christians to love lost sinners. We listen to their language and we hear them use the name of Jesus in vain and blaspheme his name and it hurts us. And they say mean things about us and about our churches. And they're so hard to deal with. Now listen to me, you'll never win people to Christ unless you love them. We don't argue people into the kingdom. We don't embarrass people into the kingdom. The way some Christians talk to lost sinners, it's a wonder they'll ever get saved. You know, God has sent us out to be witnesses. He hasn't sent us out to be prosecuting attorneys or policemen. It's not my responsibility to tell some lost sinner all the wicked things he does. He knows the wicked things that he does. Let the Holy Spirit of God convict him of his sin. Even if he stopped doing those wicked things, if he stopped his drinking and his cussing and his gambling, he still wouldn't be saved. But if he receives Jesus Christ as his Savior, then these other things are going to change. 
Now, my responsibility is to love people who are lost. The greatest need in our churches today is for Christians, church members, to have a love for lost souls. The average church member, I've preached in many churches. It's my privilege to get to many conferences, to talk to many pastors and people. And I can say from my own experience, the average church member today does not really have a love for lost souls. Oh, he's glad when somebody walks the aisle in church and and gets saved, but he didn't lift a finger to do that. He's glad when the preacher goes out and pounds on doors and tries to win people, but he himself doesn't lift one finger to try to win someone to Christ. Do you have a prayer list? Do you have a, a list of unsaved people over whom you pray? Do you love these people through the throne of grace? Do you lay hold of the hearts of these people? Does the Holy Spirit of God generate within you a love for lost souls? Now, Paul prays that this might happen. And notice the result. To the end that he may establish your heart. The people who walk in love are established. Where there is love, there is stability. Where there is selfishness, there is instability. That he may establish your hearts in holiness, unblameable in holiness, before God, even our Father. There's an interesting connection between love and holiness. Isn't this interesting? Paul didn't pray that they might become holy. He did want that. Holiness becometh thy house, says the psalmist. He prayed that they might learn how to love one another because where there is love, there's going to be holiness. You know why? God is love and God is light. Light, holiness. And when the Holy Spirit of God sheds abroad the love of God, he sheds abroad the light of God in our lives. The program is What's the Good Word? This is Pastor Warren Wearsby at the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky.